is great to be here with you this morning. I hope you're enjoying the weather. I hope um, that you're getting out and, and enjoying all that God's given us with this sunshine. Uh, last week we started a series called Words to the Wise, and we're going to continue that. If you've been with us for quite some time, if, you, if you're visiting, welcome. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. We love that you're here. But if you've been um, coming for a while, you knew that we just finished a series in the Ten Commandments. And in the Ten Commandments, God is very specific about, hey, do this or, or don't do this, right? It's, it, most of it's, hey, you shall not steal, do not commit adultery, right? But then also on the other end of that, um, God gives us positives too. He said, so, so be like this instead, right? And so moving into the summer, we want to still ask God to teach us. We still want to ask God to renew us. We still want to ask God, God, please speak and direct us. All right, and so... Now as we are in more of the New Testament, um, today we'll be in the New Testament, uh, we know that God doesn't give us more law, but he actually gives us what we call biblical wisdom. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and, and say that I think all of us want to look back one day and say, I lived well. But, but how does one experience this living well? Where do we receive this wisdom and unfortunately, all kinds of wisdom is being thrown at us. All kinds of wisdom is vying for our attention, saying the good life is this way. But what is valuable and what is not? Thankfully, the scriptures clarify this for us. In the book of James, there's actually two kinds of wisdom. That is referred to. Uh, in James chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, you can Open those up right now and, and turn with me there. Or I'll, I'll have it on the screen here. But starting in verse 13 of James, it says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Verse 17, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit impartial, and sincere. From this text, wisdom is clarified. Yes, there is much wisdom to be gained, but not all wisdom is helpful. And James actually puts wisdom in two different camps. The first camp is wisdom below. This type of wisdom births from a heart of envy or selfish ambition. But wisdom from above is pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy, good, impartial, and sincere. Today, we're looking for God's wisdom, wisdom from above. If you guys would just join me, let's pray real quick and ask God to give us his wisdom. Lord, we, we need you. We're so grateful. Even as that last song, we're grateful for your presence. We're grateful that you're here. We're grateful that you're moving. And God, we ask for your wisdom this morning. As we look at the scriptures, please speak, God. Please speak to our hearts. Please, Lord, change lives today. In your name, amen. Amen. So we're looking for wisdom from above. Please turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 
kind of some background on 1 Peter is that uh, Peter writes two letters. Um, this is the first one of those two. Uh, his audience is actually spread throughout uh, the Greco-Roman world, which is um, now known specifically as kind of modern-day Turkey. All right, All of his audience that he speaks to is Jesus' followers. Okay, And the theme that runs through this book, a theme, is new life. Uh, for instance, in chapters 1, 2, and 3, um, it expresses that Jesus' death is the basis of new life. Also in chapters 1 and 2, um, a person who's experienced new life that is walking with Jesus also expresses love, okay, and has a desire to grow in holiness. So thank God, though, that with new life comes new and better wisdom, God's wisdom. So Peter ends his first two letters talking to a group of people. The first part, chapter 5, is all to the church leaders, okay? Then the second group is to uh, the young, those who are being led by the leaders. And then as we move uh, into chapter, or excuse me, verse 5 of chapter 5, um, we see that he kind of lumps everybody together and talks to everyone at once. He says this in the second part of verse 5. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. I love the imagery that Peter gives here uh, because I'm a visual learner. Peter pleads with his readers, clothe yourselves, dress yourselves with humility toward one another to take the apparel of humility and put it on. No, not the gear from Target, not the gear from Nike, not the gear from Nordstrom, but the gear of humility. Put it on. By nature, we are, you and I, are self-oriented. Therefore, we need to relate to one another with humility. To help get this point across, Peter actually references some scripture from Proverbs, the wisdom literature. And in Proverbs, uh, the one that he actually references is in chapter 3, verse 34. It's up on the screen. It says, He, God, mocks proud mockers, but shows favor to the humble and oppressed. But in 1 Peter 5, it, it, it reads this way. Because, all right, clothe yourselves with humility because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. See, God loves you. He is for each of us. And as our creator, he knows the best way we operate. He leads us into a life well lived. Here, God leaves us with wisdom. Be humble. Clothe yourselves with humility. Biblically defined, all right, biblically humility is defined this way. It's defined as modesty. Now we're not talking about dress here. We're talking about this type of modesty. The quality or state of being unassuming or moderate in the estimation of one's ability. So Peter is saying, clothe yourselves with modesty. When we look at humility, I want to look from two different vantage points this morning. The first one, I think, is kind of a 30,000-foot view, all right? And because really, I think humility touches all aspects of our lives, day in and day out. We need to be a people of modesty in our homes, our workplaces, our neighborhoods. For instance, all right, let's just talk about parenting. Are you a modest parent? Or are you the best parent with the best parenting skills? And actually, if everyone else would parent like you, their children wouldn't be so horrible. 
How about your workplaces? Do you have a posture of humility or do you know more than your boss? Are you modest or do you believe you should have his or her position? Because you've worked here for so many years and put in so much time where they have not. Or maybe you're the person who knows everything about everything. Growth isn't needed because you have it all figured out and under control. Of course, you would never say this out loud, but this is how you live. Because this is what you truly think. These are some big picture ideas when it comes to modesty. But Peter offers the path to humility. Let's continue reading. Verse 6 of chapter 5 in 1 Peter. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. A humble person lives under God's leadership. So, so far we've read, hey, have humility towards one another. But now God's included. Humble yourselves before God. Remember from last, last week, wisdom is tied to a person. The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. From the library of God's wisdom, he says, be humble. So do you want to be humble? Humility begins with the correct view of God. A view that states God is greater than me. He is so big that I can't even wrap my head completely around who he is and what he's up to. He's smarter, wiser, knows more, and frankly, he is better. Is this what you think? Is this what you believe? Is this the way you live? Because the one who's greater, smarter, better is saying, be humble. What's difficult is on either side of humility, over here, there's pride, thinking highly of oneself. On this side, though, there's thinking lowly of oneself. So we want to make sure the pendulum stays right here, right? Anytime it swings here or here, it can be very dangerous. For instance, thinking highly of oneself really is pride. Where there is pride instead of humility or modesty, there is no need for God. Pride leaves us with an attitude. We have what it takes. There's no, no needs that I have. No needs to be met. Life is in control and the future is good because we're awesome. This perspective is so dangerous. Because the truth is, we all are in need of a savior. We all need to be rescued from the sin that separates us from God. We are all in need. Even when we come to trust and love Jesus as our Savior and Lord, God gives us what? He gives us his spirit. Why? Because this life was not meant to be lived apart from God. We need his wisdom. We need his guidance. We need his truths. We are in need. Please raise your hand if you have arrived. Please raise your hand if there are no parts of your heart that God needs to change. 
please raise your hand if every aspect of your life looks like Jesus. No, of course not. I need God's wisdom. I need to grow in humility. The other day, uh, literally last week, <laughs> I was sitting in um, our, our office looking at the computer because Kimberly had told me, hey, I want you to look at this video. I want you to just see what it's like. Uh, tell me what you think. So halfway through, she came in, and there's a section of this video where the speaker says this. He says, are you a little sinner in need of a little God in need of little grace? Or are you a big sinner in need of a big God in need of, a gr of grace the size of the ocean? So I'm, I'm, I'm like watching this. Kimberly, in a very gracious, non-threatening way, she says to me, are you a little sinner? I immediately went, who are you, my Holy Spirit? And like, it just came, I mean, friends, it came out of my mouth like nothing. Like it was just easy. And in that moment, I went, oh, just. in that moment, God revealed some very real things about my heart. That, that could not have been a more self-righteous quote that came out of my mouth. I'm in need of God's wisdom. Jesus is healing me of self-worth issues. My value doesn't come from what I've done or not done. But instead, it comes from the one, Jesus, who has done much for me. John Bloom says it this way, looking away from ourselves to Jesus is the key to walking in joyful freedom from self-ambition because God designed us to be satisfied with Jesus' glory, not our own. By nature, we devolve to pride, but Jesus is transforming us to live with humility. So we have to be careful to not let this pendulum of humility swing towards pride or thinking highly of oneself. On the other side, though, we need to be careful that the pendulum doesn't swing towards thinking lowly of ourselves. In Jesus, God has met our needs. Humility is not demeaning ourselves and thinking poorly of ourselves. Rather, we think and operate from a standpoint the, of where Jesus says, hey, this is who you are. This is what I think of you. He loves each of us and values each of us. He demonstrated this at the cross. Again, he did not give us lip service. He said, I, I love you, I care for you, and I'm going to the cross for you. I'm going to rescue you. He has done much on our behalf. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, we can live in confidence not the confidence of man, but instead the confidence that comes from God. We can live in power, but we must remember the source. C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity, 
True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. The path to humility begins by positioning ourselves under God's leadership. Key word, under. Under God's leadership. To grow in humility, I grow closer to Jesus. Well, what else are the humble like? Let's continue reading. Verse 7 of chapter 5 in 1 Peter. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The context of Peter's letter reveals that Peter's audience has put their flag in the ground. They said, we are with Jesus. And as a result, they are suffering in the Roman Greco world. Later in verse 9, Peter offers encouragement, stating that others throughout the world are experiencing similar suffering for Jesus' name as well. Suffering is happening, and Peter says this, Be humble, because the humble look to God for care. Peter confronts anxiety or worry here because worry is a form of pride. Worry takes concern upon oneself instead of entrusting it to God. Jesus' followers can trust God because, as their father, he cares for them. One thing I need to say here is that, man, if you, if you struggle with anxiety or you have um, worry issues, those things, I, I, I'm, not, I'm not by any means saying, hey, just give it to God. Let go. I, I think that's very... Uh, insensitive. But I, I guess my question is, though, from this text, is the first place you run to God? Is he the first place? Is that the first place where you, you go and you give it? He cares for you. Peter knew this personally. This was personal. So the guy who's writing the letter says, man, I, I know that God cares. I've experienced it. Well, what are some of those things? In Mark 1, uh, Jesus heals Peter's mother-in-law. He runs to Jesus and says, Jesus, my mother-in-law has a fever. She's ill. So Jesus goes to the house, literally walks in, grabs her by the hand, lifts her up. She's well, and she begins to serve the house, begins to make meals and things like that. So Jesus cares for Peter. We also see that in Luke 5, um, let's turn there because I think we have time. Luke 5, it's it's a fun story. I'll just read uh, verses 1 through 11. This is early in Jesus' ministry. It says this, One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, The people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. That's Peter's old name. And asked him to put out a little from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out 
your boats into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. So you got a professional fisherman who's like, Jesus, I've been here, I've been doing this all night. It ain't working. I mean, we got any fishermen in the house? Okay, uh, this, oh, one, okay, uh, great. I, I, one of the reasons why I hate fishing is because I don't catch much, right? But this guy's doing it for a living, right? And so he goes, I'm in need, man. We've been trying all night. I'm in need. And so Jesus says, hey, put out your nets again. And so when they had done so, verse 6, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled their both their boats so full that it began to sink. That is a fun picture. How many of you are like, that's the kind of fishing I want? Yeah. Jesus met his need. Jesus cared. Uh, the last one that I want to point out is actually in Acts 12. This is another fun one. Let's go there. For We got time. Acts 12, starting in verse 1. It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. So we know King Herod's serious, right? He's, He's not afraid to kill. When he saw that this uh, met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison. I don't know about you, but if some some of my dudes got killed, and I get thrown in prison, I'm thinking, I'm next, right? I have a need, right? God, do you care? Do you care? The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said. And the chains fell off Peter's wrists. If we continue to read, we'll we'll know that, I mean, if you know this story, it's pretty popular, but Peter walks out of the jail. He thinks he's having a dream. He finally gets out to the streets and realizes, whoa, this is reality. Again, in a time of need, Peter personally knows that God cares. And he's telling Jesus' followers, listen, God cares cares. Cast your cares on him. Cast your cares on God because God is genuinely concerned with your welfare. You can trust him. And in the midst of suffering, our humility actually leads us to truths like verse 10 and 11 in 1 Peter 5. It says this in verse 10, and the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, 
firm and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. With humility comes hope. Under God's leadership, you will be restored, made strong, firm, and steadfast. Cast your cares on him. Lastly, Peter says to the humble, be alert and resistant. Let's jump back up to verse 8 in chapter 5. It says this, the humble are to be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him. You and I need to be spiritually alert. And the humble have an awareness of what the devil is capable of. Whereas pride leaves us saying, there is nothing to worry about. There is nothing thrown my way that I can't handle. What war? What lion? This attitude is so dangerous. I was driving in my neighborhood month month ago or something like that, and I saw this garbage can out in the middle of the road. And so, being the hero that I am, <laughs> I pulled over, right, to move the garbage can. And this, this gal came out of her house, and she didn't speak very good English, but she was, she was trying to wave me down and say, hey, don't move the garbage can. And she's pointing up to the sky. And so I look up, and there's this wire hanging down. And I have no idea if it was electrical wire. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if it was a power line. I don't know what it was. It, it may have been, you know, like an antenna to a TV. I have no idea, right? But this wire, she thought was like seriously dangerous. She knew the capability of a power line. She knew that it could cause death. See, this is the picture that Peter is trying to give us about the evil one. He uses the description of a lion. He doesn't tell his readers, hey, listen, there's this little cute kitten that's prowling around. No. Instead, he said, he's a lion. He wants to devour you. See, much like the electrical wire, the devil can cause a lot of damage. Warren Wearsby kind of a well-known guy who who writes commentaries, says this about Satan. He says, Satan is a dangerous enemy. He's a serpent who can bite us when we least expect it. He is a destroyer and an accuser. He has great power and intelligence and a host of demons who assist him in his attacks against God's people. He is a formidable enemy. We must never joke about him, ignore him, or underestimate his ability. Satan promotes death. And as a result, we are to be on the lookout. But we're not just to be alert. We are to be resistant. When I think of resistance, I actually think of this this thing that's happening where we are preparing. Like we're prepared for battle. And unfortunately, I think a lot of us are just walking around our underpants. We are. We're like, this is a battle that's happening. But all of us are kind of like, what? What war? What lion? See, I think we have to look at Scripture, like in Ephesians chapter 6, where it talks about clothe yourselves with the armor of God. I don't have enough time to go through all that, but one of the things is just like put on the what? Breastplate, put on the helmet, put on the, take the shield, right? Well, those are truths 
Okay, if you just walked through that in Ephesians 6, those are truths that we need to just constantly dress ourselves with. So not only do we need to clothe ourselves with humility, but we also need to understand all of the things that God says about you and me. Do we know those things? Because here's the deal. Satan wants to creep in and tell you lies. And if you're not prepared, you will believe them. He is a lion and he wants to devour. Are you putting on the armor of God? Are you alert and are you resistant? As I said earlier, you want to live well. The words to the wise are, clothe yourselves with humility. Choose to live under God's leadership. Give your cares, every single one of them. Friends, I am naive to think that nobody in here has any cares today. I know that you're walking in here and there's heavy things that are going on in your world. Cast your cares on God. And are you a person who's alert and resistant to the enemy? Or are you walking around in your underpants? Where are we in this? Where, where are, are we humble people? Where are we this, as a community? When people see us, or they go, man, that's a community full of humility. It's just so much humility there. How about each of us? Where, where are we? Where do we need to grow in this? I'd like to finish by just reminding you that, again, wisdom is a person. I think the best way to exit this morning's teaching is by looking at the greatest example of humility, and that's Jesus. Turn your Bibles to Philippians 2. This is where we're going to end. Then we'll continue our time of worship and song. In Philippians 2, starting in verse 6, it says this. Who, who being Jesus... Being in very nature, God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant. Being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The greatest example of humility, Jesus. Jesus served you. Man, if, if, you, if you haven't trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior, and you're kind of just checking out sunset, you're checking out Jesus, you, you like to hear about him, you're, what, what's this God thing all about? I want you to know this morning that Jesus has served you. Jesus cares enough about you that he served you. He came to seek and save the lost. And so if, if you, you haven't trusted Jesus in your Lord and Savior, I want you to know Jesus has served you. He's made a way to get yourself right with God. Trust in him. Trust in him. Why not? This morning, 
But I also think for us who, who are following Jesus, I think this is a great reminder that Jesus served you. And we, as the people of God, are to follow after his example. Is that there, there really is nothing beneath us as his kids. Be humble. Let's pray. God, we're so grateful for you. We're so grateful for all that you've done. I, I want to pray two things, God. I ask that we, as a church, would first continue to soak up who you are. That God, descriptors like this, descriptors like the greatest example of humility, Jesus would run through our minds and our hearts, that we would be reminded of who you are, who you are and what you've done. And out of that, God, I pray that we would be a changed people because we really follow you, because we really look for direction from you. God, as humility touches all aspects of our lives, we do ask, God, we do ask that you would help us be a humble people. By the power of your spirit, help us to be modest. Help us to have humility. We love you in your name.